0: we were talking about the, uh, Paul's situation with the Corinthian church because they were uh, questioning his legitimacy and his motives. And, and not everybody in the church, but certainly some and enough that were influencing the others. And so this yes and no that we saw in verse 17, verse 17 said, Therefore I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or that which I purpose, I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes and no, no at the same time, rhetorical questions. And as we talked about last week, Paul uh, didn't want them to think that the fact that he changed his travel plans was a sign of a lack of uh, uh, focus or a lack of clear. <coughs> excuse me, uh, 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 or being uh, untrustworthy, vacillating, fleshly whatever they may be charging him with, uh, vacillation. And he is going now to point out that what's reliable and trustworthy and not vacillating is his message. And his message about messianic salvation is based on the promises of God. And God's promises never vacillate. God's promises are always true. And so therefore, because God's promises are the foundation of Paul's ministry and his message, therefore his Paul is reliable in as much as he's faithful to the message. Changing tribal plans is a human thing, but it doesn't mean his message is going to change or is not going to be reliable. And so from this passage here, he'll go on and talk more about this message and how he has guarded the integrity of the message. But here's verse 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you, notice he goes to the message, our word to you is not yes and no. So, that's what he is making his claim on about what's important. Not travel plans, not circumstances, not the fact that he has certainly gone through some suffering and other trials, but that he uh, he has a message that's absolutely um, rock solid and it doesn't vacillate it's not tainted it's not sullied it's not hidden and later he'll say we've renounced the hidden things in all dishonesty and uh, they have with he has with clear conscience proclaimed the truth and done so faithfully and continually so. He begins here then by saying, but God is faithful. So he starts out with the faithfulness of God. So the faithfulness of the messenger is grounded in a faithful God who has given the message. And so the Gospel is about trusting God and serving Him, <coughs> Excuse me, not relying on human deeds. Now, um, Uh, Denise, could you look up uh, Numbers 23.19? It comes out of the passage about the story of Balaam, as a matter of fact. Numbers 23.19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor
1: a son of man that he should repent. Has he said... And will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good?
0: Okay. Now, in that case, that was Balaam explaining why he couldn't curse Israel. Okay, because Balak had hired Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam uh, had been confronted, and you know the story about his donkey and, and all that. But he'd been confronted by the Lord that he could only say what God told him to say. And of course, what he wanted to say was a curse on Israel, but he was not allowed to do so. So when he kept blessing Israel, uh, Balak said, I hired you to curse them. Why do you keep blessing them? And then Balaam says, God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should repent. In other words, God had spoken a blessing on Israel, so how is Balaam going to reverse it? (laughs) Okay. And um, the the blessing of God is uh, based on his... Faithfulness to His own promises. So God is faithful. Uh, another passage, Adam. Do you like to? Do, no, you're Adam. That's Noah. Noah. Sorry, Noah. Do you like to look up a verse? Okay, you do. Uh, One John five twenty. Then. By the way, let me give you a little overview of where we're going with this. Um, verses eighteen through twenty. I don't know if I'll get through them all today, but. Paul appeals to three things. Number one in verse 18 is God's faithfulness. Number two, the person and work of Christ in verse 19. And number three, the immutability of God's promises as fulfilled in Christ in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. So uh, God's faithfulness, the person of Christ, and the uh, reliability or immutability of God's promises in Christ are the ground of the fact that he's claiming that his word is not yes and no, that there's no vacillation or unreliability in the gospel message. Was it 520? Uh, 1 John
1: 5.20 And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are... In Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Okay,
0: the one who is true, the one who is true. So God is faithful, God is true, God cannot lie, and therefore there the word that Paul preaches is not yes and no. I'm sorry, I'm struggling with these uh, levels
2: on these things. Yeah.
0: Okay, so. Um, I had a quote I wanted to do. I was thinking about something. I, I sent in another article yesterday to that to that Worldview, and um, I was thinking about my next article. I had a phone interesting phone call yesterday, and I happened to be down at the office, and I was just going to kind of spend a day studying because it's so quiet down there on Saturday. But it turned out I was on the phone most of the day. A, a, a lady called me from another state told me her name, and I recognized the last name was a very interesting name. And I said, she said, well, you probably recognize my name. I'm the daughter-in-law of this Dr. Jane Gumprecht whose book you quoted in your last article.
3: <laughs>
0: wow. And on, the, on this abusing memories. And, and so, and then she had a story about how, another story about yeah, the same story I hear from everyone, their churches are going apostate and they're bringing mysticism in and stuff like that. But an interesting discussion. And, and she was, as she was telling me her story and then some other, this echoes stories I've heard from dozens. Some of you here have told me the same story, is that they are frustrated because they were going to elders in whatever churches they were in and trying to get them to deal with the important gospel issues. And to guard the flock, or even to guard the teenagers, because in some cases the teenagers are being taken into stuff that's basically Buddhism. And they can't get the elders to do anything about it because they don't want to deal with anything but church polity or, uh, you know, guard the reputation of whoever it was that made the bad doctrine. And so I, I, and then I got an email from another guy on the same thing while I was sitting there. And so I looked up these verses, now, see, Paul is saying is that the reason you can believe I'm reliable is because of the word I preach to you is based solidly on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the promises of God. His travel plans may or may not come to pass. They vacillate, but his message doesn't vacillate. And I think that what the big problem, as it just came to me yesterday, is that, Elders, in our evangelical movement, elders aren't doing their most primary important job. And that, that is to guard the flock and to, re, and to exhort with sound doctrine. That's what it says in uh, Titus. So Paul was one who was faithful in those things that are important, but the Corinthians were emphasizing things that are not important and accusing him of not being very good at what he does. So I think what happens in, in, not just in our situation but in the first century is that we get our, our values backwards about what's important. Turn to Titus with me. And then I, and then I have a... I got my baby Bible again. I've remembered everything else with my big Bible. I'll have somebody else read it. Um, the mic. The um, mic. Uh, you have it, Carla. Titus one, I think it's seven and eight. If I have the right one, yeah. Titus one seven and
1: eight. For the overseer must be above reproach, as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sword games, but hospitable loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound
2: doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So the,
0: the elder must be able to exhort with sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Now, when you look in Acts 20... Again, Paul exhorting the Ephesian elders that their job was to guard the flock because he knows that savage wolves will come, not sparing the flock. And in Timothy, it said that the elder must be apt to teach. And the reason in First Timothy two and three that elders are men that, that are given the reason that Paul gives is because of Eve's deception. So, uh, and then it and then goes into the re- requirements for elders. So, my conclusion, and then based on what Paul's saying here in Second Corinthians, that his reliability was based on the, the, the gospel that he preached, not his travel plans. Elders have one responsibility that overrides every other possible one that they have. And that's not making sure the church meets its budget. It's not making sure the church has you know, new buildings. It is not to make sure the church has well-greased uh, wheels and gears as far as all the different organizational things that go on, however nice all those things are. It's not to make sure that the church is popular. It's not to make sure that the senior pastor never gets questioned no matter what. But the elder's number one job is to guard the flock and to exhort with sound doctrine and to make sure that the integrity of the gospel is preserved in all things that the church does, from the Sunday school to the youth group to what's preached in the pulpit on Sunday morning to what's written in the, uh, <laughs> any documents we send around. That's the number one job. And, that, and all, I'm doing Second Corinthians because the whole book's about that. Paul's integrity is based on his message and his faithfulness to it, and and, and God will judge the motives. You know, they they assume they assume all kinds of bad motives. Oh, you're vacillating, Paul. You didn't come. You said you're going to come. We can't trust you. He said, "Well, you can trust my gospel." So I'm going to write an article about that. It was just yesterday, when I sent in the, that article, I thought that's going to be the next one. Uh, and I, I and that lady I was talking to, I said, listening to you after about many many other stories like this, I think. That I hear the same thing over again. The elders won't do their job. They won't find out what's being taught. Is it scriptural? And if it isn't, stop it. They won't do it. They refuse to do it. And this is not, this is in thousands of cases across the United States, if I I can extrapolate from the known ones that I've run into.
3: I just had a a question uh, on this. uh, it's the of Paul's defending himself using his message to defend himself in Corinth, but he's having you know, there's, a, there's a rift between Corinth and uh, and himself. Is there any miracles documented that Paul did in Corinth? Uh,
0: you'd have to look at you have to look at Acts. Where, where Corinth is in his trip to Corinth is where Acts 17.
3: He does miracles and the miracles other places, but. It wasn't one of the places I remembered him doing a lot of miracles. And I was wondering if that was also you know, playing
0: into the people's not receiving it. Well, one of them was certainly visions. Because in Second Corinthians 12, he says, uh, you know, he says, you, you've compelled me to become foolish, to tell his visions. Because evidently the super apostles, the ones that were claiming, they had these great visions and so they thought they had better visions than Paul did. And so then he had to tell about visions Uh, Where is it, Acts 18, where he goes to Corinth? Yeah. Okay, go ahead.
1: After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, the native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were ten. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down to Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted the blasphemy, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Justice
0: the worship of God, so, who next to the sin of God. I'm sorry, this is one. Well, we don't. But I think that the only thing, in First Corinthians, he said something about my my gospel did not come to you in word only, but also power. But he doesn't define what he means by that. It could mean the power of God to change people from sinners into saints, which is in the context would indicate what he did mean, because it was all about the gospel, about the cross. So it could be they were that's another issue. They didn't do enough signs and wonders to satisfy them. I don't know. Um, and so what Paul is doing is he is everything comes back to the message. The integrity of the gospel itself is more important than everything else, not to minimize these other things. If you look at first in Titus and Timothy, there are also basic moral qualifications for elders. All right. The, and if be have a good reputation of those without Manage his household well, things like that. But I think that what happened, and in this one conversation, I've had several conversations around here with people who've had different experiences, and somebody was telling me, Well, I think that what churches do is they choose elders based on how big the guy's business is. Okay? And so whoever has a big business and is successful in the business world. Becomes an elder. Now I don't know how how true it is. I've just heard it from people, Um, but that's not one of the qualifications in Timothy. You start first with looking for people that have a love for the truth, who have have been serving God faithfully, and, and, and have the basic qualifications there. But if the love for the truth part and the gospel part is not there. You're going to run into trouble down the line because when Satan attacks a church, he's going to attack his teachings first. Because the gospel is the one thing that's a threat to Satan. Alright? And so when he attacks the, the teachings, if the elders aren't even capable of seeing that as an attack, they're not going to take action. They're not going to do anything about it. And then, that's how all it gets to be this way. We got a bunch of nice people with good money that are maybe decent. Businessmen and husbands, or what have you, but they have no concern about what's true and what the gospel's about. I say they're not qualified. Yes.
2: It's very important that the, you put out this newsletter about the needs and the deeds of the elders because one of the churches I was obliged to leave, we went to complain to the elders and they said their job was to take care of the building. It was the pastor's job to take care of any doctrinal issues. So we went to the pastor and he said, Well, I kind of fooled around in the seminaries,
0: so I didn't get much out of it. I didn't get much out of it because I wasn't paying attention. Well, it's a sad story when doctrine doesn't matter. So God is faithful. All right, back to verse 18. God is faithful. Our word to you is not yes and no. It's not yes and no. In other words, it's a, it's a faithful message based on the, the, a faithful God who gave it. The only thing that we know to be reliable is God's Word. And even the best men have a certain degree of unreliability to them. But God's Word is always reliable.
2: Yes?
3: I was at a church uh, for a long time and the pastor was lamenting his elders saying that his elders weren't very good. He had to use what God gave them because they didn't really meet the qualifications. But in some way... That would be a huge indictment on the message that's being preached because if the message being preached is defective to begin with, you're not going to raise up the elders. If you have a good message, Paul could come into a pagan or Jewish town and preach a good message, and good elders would be raised up because they would respond to the message that was being preached. If you preach a defective message, you'll have defective elders.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, if the message is weak or defective, you don't end up with a pool of people that's been truly trained and discipled in a godly way. And you don't end up with anybody even... What's the the, the, the cart and what's the horse? In some ways, the the lack of good elders
3: is the judgment of having bad teaching ahead of time.
0: (laughs) Wow. I think I can write an article on this. (laughs) And... uh, Okay, here's what uh, Martin says about this verse we're studying. Um, God is faithful, and God's faithfulness guarantees Paul's word to them. That word involves far more than his travel plans. It encompasses Paul's preaching of Christ among them. Paul's trustworthiness does not come from himself or from any feeble oath he might make. It comes from the faithfulness of God's word. The theological insight that his sincerity, competency, and power comes entirely from God pervades This whole epistle. Paul therefore does not respond to doubts about his character by saying, Trust me. I know that what I'm doing, I know what I'm doing and it's for your good. Rather, he says in effect, Trust God. His promises have been fulfilled in Christ, and our faithfulness in dealing with you have been assured by our preaching Christ to you. So don't trust me, trust Christ. And if I faithfully proclaim the word of Christ to you, that fact would make me trustworthy. But if I don't do that, me being a nice guy isn't going to solve any of your problems. There's a lot of nice, sincere, trustworthy people that teach lies. I don't know whether it's the default position, but I think most people just do their discernment based on who's a nice person. I, I hear that kind of all the time. And, well, this, no, they can't be wrong. They're very nice. So I said, well, I always say the same thing. The Dalai Lama's nice. He's probably nicer than me. I don't know that for a fact. <laughs> but, uh, I haven't actually met him. Uh, and uh, But even if the Dalai Lama is nicer than me, I guarantee you that his message won't save you. In fact, it'll do the opposite, Yes.
2: I was just going to say, if you're going to have um, bad elders and teaching, that's going to come out into the world. And the world will be confused in terms of what's going on in the church. Is it that bad? Was it that good or whatever? You're kind of confusing for those that you've witnessed.
0: Well, if you have an unclear message, then you... uh... Of course, it confuses people, absolutely.
3: I just want to say on the nice guy philosophy if an elder's job is to review and curtail bad teaching, that's typically an authority that you're coming in and rebuking you as perceived as a nice guy. The false, of, false prophets that peace, peace, where there is no peace and have an appearance of being a nice guy, that's how they have people follow them. Mm-hmm. You know the Old Testament, the two prophets didn't come across as a nice guy because they had had a, a very strong message of black and white, and people were on the black side. That's why they were, that's why they were speaking. And I would say that if all you have is nice guys as elders that don't stand up and rebuke, that's a very bad correlation because the nice, the false prophets are the nice
0: guys. They're they're really nice. Yeah, that reminds me of the story about Micaiah and the four hundred false prophets. Yeah. He
3: was the only guy. He got
0: stuck in prison being the one guy. It would the
3: on. He would
0: tell the truth. He still didn't listen to him. And he went out and died. <laughs> yeah, out and died anyhow. He said, ah, well, there's this Micaiah. Now, are you sure? It was Ahab, right? Ahab said, ah, are you sure? That's all the prophets? I want to know. You have yeah, 400 prophets. You yeah, have 400 prophets. He said, go, you're going to have victory. Well, isn't there any more? Well, there's a Micaiah, but he never has anything good to say. <laughs> we... Yeah, he's not a nice guy. Uh, well, let's see what he says. And then Micaiah says, Well, you're going to be destroyed. And Ahab, uh, you know, see, predictable. This guy has a negative message. The only trouble is the negative message turned out to be the truth. <laughs> and he went out and died. Because he wouldn't listen. Well, let's go to verse 19. For the Son of God, the Son of God, Jesus, Christ Jesus, was preached among you by us by me and by Sylvanus and Timothy was not yes or no, but is yes in him so we here I remember in the eighties when the debate that was going on at the time was the positive mental attitude uh, teaching I don't know if that's still around or not Schuler was kind of the Robert Schuler was the big purveyor of that, and his popularity was a really big thing in the 80s now I think there's other people that probably more listen to than Schuler is cuz he's older now but uh, positive mental attitude teaching and this is one of their proof texts see this is this this is teaching a positive mental attitude um uh yes and yes and amen in verse 20 see it's all positive we we um we should have a positive message but Again, it's being wrenched out of context. This isn't about a positive mental attitude. This is about the reliability of the gospel. That the promises of God are that those who come to faith in Jesus Christ, who trust Him, that His shed blood washes away their sins, the yes is God has promised that you're forgiven. The yes is God has promised you have eternal life. The yes is that God has promised that you are adopted into the family of God. The yes is that he says, I, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, there are many, what well, we would, we use the term positive, uh, not in this crass sense, but in the sense that God has made declarative yeses, uh, in, through the gospel and expresses the unchangeable promise of God. That's true. But a positive attitude is a different category. That would be that no matter what's going on in life, you take on a positive attitude, and you believe everything's going to work out, and you believe in your own abilities, and you believe uh, you believe in the goodness of your fellow man. Uh, I, have, I have the books in my heresy library. I have the original, um, per, the person that probably first invented this was a guy by the name of Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill had, wrote a book, I think in the 30s, entitled Think and Grow Rich. You gave me that, didn't you? Yeah, before Bert became a Christian, that's what he believed, right? Yeah yeah Bert was into that stuff before he came in the eighties. you came here and met the Lord right, and so he gave me his old heresy books and one of them one of them was uh, napoleon Hill for yeah for reference only not to <laughs> yeah not to believe Bert wasn't trying to corrupt me, he just thought I might want to write an article and um so uh, so i said, I actually started reading this because that Hill Hill's like the great granddaddy of the positive thinking movement and uh, I guess so. I don't know, but he 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 had a story in there about uh, uh, Orange City, Iowa, which is 15 minutes from our home. He he was telling about this guy that he knew was trying to do sales, and he went into Orange City, Iowa, to try to sell whatever washing machines to farmers or whatever it was he was trying to sell, and he couldn't get anybody to buy him. And uh, Napoleon Hill must have been his you know boss, and the guy who came, called back from Orange City he said. Well, I can't sell anything here. Well, why not? Well, cuz this is a clannish town. This is a Dutch which is true. Okay, cuz I grew up near there. It was it's a Dutch clan. And he says everybody does the same thing. And nobody steps out of line. They all in fact if, if you would go into Orange City, Iowa, and if you saw a maroon 1967 Monte Carlo or whatever they had back there in Impala, there'd be 500 of them. <laughs> Everybody had the same car. You just see one after another after another. So, because it was a clannish town and everybody did the same thing. Well, so Napoleon Hill, I don't know, why do I remember these things? See, that's that's why I'm forgetful. My mind's full of all this useless stuff. <laughs> so Napoleon Hill told the guy, well, you dummy, you gotta, you got to start thinking positive. You're thinking negative. You're thinking, I can't get them out of the rut, so I'll never be able to sell anything here. He says, you're in a golden opportunity. If, be, the way you should look at it is if you sell one washing machine, you're going to sell 500 because they'll all have to have one. And so that was the think and grow rich. So you <laughs> just have a positive mental attitude uh, uh, for Ryan there. You know, the question about who's carrying on this golden gold legacy. Right now, the one
2: that I see as the most dominant is Joel. Yeah. Yeah. Positive thinking. Thank you, Brian yeah, <laughs>
0: thinking by a stadium. Yeah.
2: And, uh, on CNN, they had a uh, they had a special called "What Is a Christian?" and he was on this. And what 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 I found fascinating is I watched a whole hour of it. Is they were trying to, to, to define what a Christian is in you know in contemporary America. They went to the stage, which was this Christian positive thinking, want to be rich, and then they went to Cowboy dollar. That. <laughs> then, then they went to a Unitarian church. I don't know why they started talking about environmental stuff and how we were pursuing the environment. Then they went to a you real know, um, hyper uh, I'd say probably hyper-dispensational church which in one sense was just really, really politically different. what defined them was that they were against gay marriage, against um, all the political avenues. And then the program stopped, and not once was a Christian defined by anything regarding the person who can work with Jesus Christ. I think
0: that's a... Number one, I think, that this is the as this is all the world Christianity now. And number two, I think it's an indictment on the evangelical church. This is, this is the message. Yeah, we should be telling them about Jesus Christ. And the article I just posted um, uh, Dick helped me get finishing touches on it. But I basically, it's called Brought Before Kings. all right, Brought Before Kings. And I pointed out, I started with this Obama at Rick Warren's church, and then King Assad. And so we have evangelicals brought before kings. So I thought, well, let's see what the Bible says about this. So I went into Matthew where Jesus said, you will be brought before rulers and kings. For, for a testimony of me, okay and don't think ahead of time about what you're going to say, but the Holy Spirit will give you the words. And, and I interpret that to mean if you think ahead of time when you're going to go before a king, you're probably going to get scared out and you'll probably try to flatter the king because it's, it's kind of human nature. Here's somebody that can kill me or somebody that could well, yeah that could make me uh, important and so you get awed by their person. But the king's a sinner. right? So when Jesus said don't think ahead of time or worry ahead of time, the Holy Spirit will give you the words. What he meant was the Holy Spirit will testify about Christ. That's what it says the Holy Spirit does in John. So then I went through Acts and saw when people were actually brought before rulers and kings. And every one of them testified about Christ. So if they put the camera in front of you and ask you about Christianity... The Holy Spirit will give you the words to testify about Christ. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes.
4: Give the example that you gave of Peter, what he would have done in today's society. Uh, He had been given the options of, why did you do this? Yeah. The guy was lame.
0: Oh, yeah. Peter went and uh, the reason they were asking him was because um, he had a lame guy And then we start preaching Christ and the resurrection and repentance. (coughs) And (coughs) excuse me. So the the Sanhedrin called Peter into account, and um, they said uh, they wanted to know why he was preaching about Christ. All right. And they didn't care about the lame guy. So what I said in my article was, if Peter would have said to the rulers, okay, okay, rulers. We just healed a lame guy. I think if you just give us some space, we'll heal all the lame in Israel and you'll have a better nation. But they didn't care about whether a lame guy was healed or not healed. They cared about them preaching in Christ. And they didn't forbid them to heal. Right? So Peter could have healed all the lame he wanted as long as he didn't preach Christ. So my analogy was Rick Warren's going to cure AIDS. No wonder they're not mad at him. Because he's not doing the one thing that would make them mad, which is preach Christ. You're right, you're right. All right? That's what my article is about. So you can click a link on our website to find that A kind a, a world view thing.
3: Ryan's comment about the secular world Christians trying of or Christian leaders or religious leaders asking what Christianity is and not getting a good answer. It really goes back to what Kathy said, that if the elders of those churches aren't doing a very good job, in monitoring and patrolling the doctrine that's being said, using the world, so you have CNN come out without a gospel message. And conversely, as weird, as you have a Sanhedrin doing that, to the wrong side, they weren't concerned about the miracles. They were concerned that the teaching of Christ is infiltrating the Judaism. So they stand against the good teaching, and we don't have people doing the inverse.
0: Okay, Christ. notice now Paul is defending his ministry. He says, the Son of God, Christ Jesus, was preached among you. His defense was, we preached Christ to you. In other words, that's more important than all these other things that you might think about. With his travel plans, his personal appearance. They said he was contemptible in 2 Corinthians 10. His speech was contemptible and he was unimpressive. Unimpressive. He wasn't a Joel Olstein. No. <laughs> Happy and smiling, comforting. You know, Paul is this crotchety old Jew He has been beaten up so much he must have looked terrible. Can you imagine being stoned or almost killed? What the, the stones are doing? He must have looked awful. But he had the right gospel. Yes, uh, Laura Lee, Carly, Coralie, Carly. Coralie, yes, excuse me.
1: I just want to say on the CNN topic, um, I thought it was interesting that, that the world would even uh, inquire. Said, I thought how phenomenal that on this uh, worldly network they would even commit a whole hour, and I think it's continued. Uh, but they would even, you know, to me that reflects that the world is really curious oh, and also searching. And I felt that they did not portray Joel Wolfstein and Credible Dollar or whatever of them. I didn't, I didn't think they, betrayed, they knew that wasn't the truth. To me, they betrayed it like this isn't right. This is what he thinks, but come this isn't the truth. So I thought it was a
0: very positive thing. That, I thought how curious and how interesting the world is looking into what is Christian. Phenomenal. Well, it says in the Bible that we should be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us. Now, what's the reason for the hope that's within us? We have a positive mental attitude? No, because Christ has died for our sins.
4: Um, I came up through the ranks. I mean, through, I filtered up through all of this other stuff that uh, that's worldly, like how I'm thinking this book. I read that too. A number of others. You name them, I, I went through that. And I think that um, I've always thought that today's churches, today, a lot of today's pastors are the ones that are preaching of constancy are... What would they be doing if they weren't doing this? They'd be <coughs> selling cars? they'd be selling dishwasher, they'd be selling something else. But because there's a lot of people that have come up through these ranks, they're filtered up through there from the start of the Pomape Hill, they've come to, to another dangerous point, which is not unlike um, Joel Olsen that he just brought up. I think another one is, is uh, the purpose-driven movement. If, if, if Napoleon Hill was alive today, he'd be
2: telling, he, he would have told, uh, what's
4: his name? Warren. Warren, Warren, telling him the same thing. He says, Look, you fool, you've got all these people out there that just clans, sell them a church in a box, and sell it to the pastors, and then the next pastor wants it, and the next pastor wants it. Before you know it, you have a movement. Unfortunately, it's not the right
0: movement. It worked. It worked. He did. That's exactly what he did do. Okay, I have a lot of cross references. Let me start uh, distributing them here. Stephan, Psalm two and verse seven, and Leif. Oh, you just got one Bible here, okay? Oh, you got oh, you got a little one too. Matthew seventeen five, smaller than mine. Well, he's young. He's still got good eyes. (laughs) Okay, Matthew seventeen five, and Keith, Matthew twenty four thirty five, Carla, John three thirty five and thirty six. And Karen Romans one three and four and Larry, Hebrews thirteen and verse eight and Lincoln, right, uh, two Peter one seventeen, Robert one John five nine to thirteen, and Lois two John one nine two John one nine. Okay, so this this yes this positive message, um, what it means is an the connotation of the word positive in our day and age, but it meant a a clear, unequivocal, unchangeable message based on the promises of God that cannot fail. Now, in some ways, as I was studying these verses, I was thinking about the Word of Faith movement. In some ways, they're right about one thing. The Word of Faith movement says the promises of God cannot fail. All right? I agree with that. But what we disagree with is exactly what are the promises of God. I say the promises of God are messianic salvation, not um, health and happiness and popularity, and and that's not the promises of God.
1: (laughs) Well, one thing that is interesting I was talking with my friends about even that. You do have some promise about health. And whatever, it's just that it's not temporal. It's
0: not yeah, not here now. the know. promise of the resurrection. We have the promise
1: of future joy and future health and future perfection in Christ, but it's grounded, it's grounded in the death, burial, and resurrection of, in, of Jesus Even there, because you're looking for it to when we will still be perfected in Him.
0: Yeah, Romans 8. That's, that's a good point, Karen. And I, did, I wrote an article years ago. It was one of our first issues back in the early 90s on. Healing in the atonement. And my claim was healing is in the atonement. It's called the resurrection. But how healthy we are now is, compared to other people's, the Bible doesn't promise that all Christians will be all the healthiest ones and all the non-Christians will be sick. It just doesn't say that. So it's not the promise of God. Okay, well, whatever is the promise of God is definitely reliable. No. Psalm 2 and verse
4: 7.
2: I will surely tell you of the decree of the Lord he said to me, you are my son, they I have begotten you.
0: Okay, and then um, that's Messianic Psalm 2 Matthew 17, 5.
2: While he was still speaking, the bright cloud over his head of Behold the voice of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, if you may well please, listen
0: to him. Yeah, we've talked about that verse a lot lately listen to him, as you know, as a reference to Deuteronomy 18. So. Alright, no, a, I always like to do that. I always like to take away uh, his... Uh, his uh, it's, a a, yeah, it's a good verse, and Ryan's going to preach it to you this morning. Okay, Matthew 24:35. 35. <laughs> Heaven and earth shall pass away. My words
3: shall not pass away.
0: Alright, so there again is the immutability. God's words proceed from God's mouth, God cannot lie. So it is right to say that God's Word cannot fail. The Bible says that. But we've got to be careful to know what it actually says that's not going to fail and what the key issues are. John three thirty-five and 36.
2: The Father
1: loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life
0: That he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's an interesting uh, John 3. It says, he who who believes Mm -hmm. has life, but who doesn't, the wrath of God abides on him. It's amazing how many people know John 3.16 and miss some of the point that's going on. They take it as kind of just a, a warm, fuzzy, God loves everybody thing, right?
1: Mm-hmm. That verb, I
0: think, is interesting. Um, it, it, he who does not obey the Son, it's, it's a verb that he that both believe, believe yeah. and obey. Right. That's a very good. Yeah, it's using a antithetical parallelism. Okay? So the opposite of belief in that verse is disobedience. All right? So, to, in in. Paul said, that shows us that the gospel is something that's, that is a call to obedience to God. It's not mental ascent. Yeah, it's not, it's not just mental ascent. Paul says that his ministry in Romans 1 5 was to bring about the obedience of faith amongst the Gentiles. So to hear the gospel and not believe it is also to hear the gospel and disobey it. Because the gospel is telling us to come to Christ and to serve Him. Commanding repentance, yes. Well, okay, Romans 1. Now here's Romans 1. Romans 1, 3, and 4.
1: Concerning his son, who was born and descended of David according to the flesh, we declare the Son of God with power, by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord.
0: So his resurrection was vindication that he's indeed the Son of God with power. Hebrews 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same today and today and but... Okay, Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that idea of immutability is an attribute of God. It's another verse about Jesus' deity. If Jesus Christ was not God. you couldn't say that. Next time a Jehovah's Witness calls, them, I'm going to tell him that. I just thought of that. I never thought before you read that that Hebrews 13.8 is another verse about the deity of Christ. Yeah, I told him that one. Then he had some contrived answer to try to refute that. He expected that. So you gotta give them ones that they don't expect because they got they spend the last hundred and fifty years coming up with contrived answers to all the verses about the deity of Christ. Uh Hebrew no, second Peter 1.7. seven. Yeah. Peter No, one seventeen. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry.
3: And when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such as utterance that this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased.
0: Yeah, so there is Peter who was there on the Mount of Transfiguration, testifying later that that such an utterance had been made. Peter was a witness, eyewitness to this, and that God declared Jesus to be his beloved Son, which would be a reference to Psalm 2 the Divine Son. Okay, um, 1 John 5, 9-13. If we
2: receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater So the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life and his life to the Son. He who has the Son has the life. <laughs> he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I've written to you believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal
0: life. Isn't that great? Wow. Powerful verses. You better You better uh, put a bookmark on that page in your Bible so when you're witnessing to somebody, you can share those verses with them. So the clear. Message of Christ is that he who has the Son has the life. Two John one nine. One through nine. No, no, no. Just nine. Verse nine.
1: Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son.
0: Okay. You don't abide in the doctrine of Christ. You don't have God. So I don't know that you, there's no way we're I mean, you just you, you don't want to underestimate how important this is, that the doc is repeated all the way through the Bible, that the personal work of Christ is the Christian message. And Paul, later in Second Corinthians that we're studying here, said we do not preach ourselves. Have you ever heard anybody say the missionaries, the message? Have you heard that before? I've heard that so many times. The missionary is the message. That just flat out doesn't work. You can go, keep your mouth shut about Christ, go anywhere in the world, and be a good person. Be a wonderful, loving, the best person that the people there know. And you can do that forever and that one person will become a Christian. Because the power isn't in us. The power is in Christ and uh, the Word of Christ that we preach. Yes. How
3: does it first in uh, opposition to the metaphysical Christ? Because if we don't apply the doctrines of Christ, the teachings of Christ, the verbalized understanding of what Christ is, we don't have Christ because that is the essence of Christ, is, this, is the teaching. The doctrine. Someone that feels Christ in his spirit or meets Christ as a spirit, it's a different Christ because we have the doctrines of Christ and without them you don't have Christ.
0: Absolutely. I love that verse. Yeah, people have a gushy feeling uh, about some spirit being that they associate with Christ. You don't know the doctrine of Christ. You don't know who they're talking about. And it could be a different Jesus. Yes, Kathy. I was just going to say, in light of the world, i was just going to say, in
2: light of the world, they are not follow
0: it right there because Jesus said I am the way in the life. Absolutely. So, people believe in Christ of, of one sort or another, but it says that you must confess that Christ came in the flesh, which again would be a refutation of some metaphysical Christ that, like Keith was mentioning. Well, let's introduce it. I don't think I can get through this whole next verse, but let's introduce it. Verse 20. For as many uh, as may be the promises of God in Him... They are, yes. Wherefore also by Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. So, this is talking about the church here as a confessing community. The church as a confessing community. Meaning that what we respond to if we're truly the Lord's, and I believe this this is kind of a watershed type test whether people are truly converted or not. But a, a converted person who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, such a person, when they hear the proclamation of the immutable promises of God in Christ, they will respond with an amen. Not necessarily meaning every time you agree with something you say amen. Um, they do that in some churches. But if, if I'm not against amens, but if it happens too much, pretty soon people can't follow what the preacher is saying. But what it means as a confessing community, amen means surely. So it is. There's something within us when we hear the truth of the gospel proclaimed, uh, there's something within us that says amen to that. Amen. amen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's true if you go somewhere else and, you, and you're not expecting to hear the gospel. But you do. Uh, I remember in the 80s, we used to have a channel on our cable that, that piped in Christian broadcasting all day, and it was almost all day heresy. And it, nothing's changed. It seems like the more popular it is, the less likely it's going to be the true gospel. But I remember I was doing some research. This was before I started writing CIC, but I was still doing some writing, sort of practice writing, I guess you'd call it. And I was watching the PTL Network. And just to see what kind of heresy they had on, you know, today. And I was watching it and they'd brought a guest pastor in from somewhere, put him on TV, and he preached the gospel, the truth. And, and, and that's resonant, it's like, amen, somebody's on here preaching the real gospel. All these people that have been listening to this drivel for weeks and years they heard the Gospel, and I can thank God for that. And, and any time you go somewhere, and, who, and whatever auspices it might be, and the true Gospels preached, if we're the Lord's people, there's an amen in our hearts. And um, so, as the, whatever the, may be the promises of God. Now, here's probably thinking of the Old Testament Messianic promises. And when I looked up cross-references, there were so many I didn't write, write them down. I just rehearsed them. Uh, Genesis three fifteen, the 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 seed promised to the woman. uh, Genesis twelve three, the seed promised to to, uh, Abraham. Genesis twenty two with Isaac, the promise of descendants. Uh, Genesis forty nine, the promise that from the tribe of Judah would come the Messiah. Uh, Second Samuel two no, Second Samuel seven fourteen, the promise that from David would come a son who would sit on the throne. In Jeremiah 31. You can just go on and on and on. All of these promises of God that were given to ancient patriarchs and kings and prophets are fulfilled in Christ. So as many as may be the promises of God, in Him they are, yes, therefore, in Him is our amen. So as the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed by anyone, when we hear it, We have to have an amen. We don't have. You don't have to verbalize it every single time, although sometimes I I do, because I love hearing the truth of the gospel on anybody's lips. On anybody's lips, if they can just preach. Oh, let me give you another example. I was um, I was running sound for the Soul Liberation. Uh, thing on Park Avenue down here. And I, and I was, for two days, I was on the, I was on the stage running the monitor sound. So they have all these professional preachers and musicians coming and going all day long. I mean, all Friday night, you know, Friday afternoon, all Friday night until late, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, preacher and musicians and preachers and musicians and preachers. And I never heard gospel. There were some in some of the songs had a little bit of it. Great music, by the way. I love the music. Um, They had that Hammond B three just singing up there. You know, they 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 were they were really they had some great music. But I was so disappointed because there was all these people from the neighborhood gathered and nobody's preaching the gospel to them. And then this Hispanic preacher got up because they were having a Hispanic time and they had a Hispanic band. And this guy came. He's from Colorado. Hispanic preacher got up and he started preaching in English and Spanish. He goes Spanish, English, Spanish, English, Spanish, English with power and fervency. And he started, I still remember his passage, he started in Exodus. and No, he started in uh, Hebrews 11 that Moses, when he had grown, uh, refused to be called the, the, the son of Pharaoh, of Pharaoh's daughter but rather chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. And he started preaching Christ and the gospel. And the fact that if you're going to commit to Christ and serve the gospel, then you're willing to suffer affliction with the people of God, but it's better than whatever you may have in this world. And all the people before were preaching the prosperity gospel. This guy. I mean, earlier, as I, I was up on the stage, so you see the crowd out there? These people were so trying to get the people to respond. They, they were just working. They had a guy with the organ. They'd be preaching. Now you need to do this. And the organ would go, Ooh. And, <laughs> and then, and then uh, and then, stand up, stand up, stand up. Is anybody out there going to say amen? They were yelling at these people. Say amen. Stand up. Do something. So they'd try to get the people to do something. So the preacher feels good about it? This, little, this Hispanic preacher got up. And he never told anybody to say Amen. He didn't demand anything from the crowd. He proclaimed with power the word of God with truth, and the Holy Spirit did the work, and the people responded uh, in a way that nobody had responded before, because they knew that God was speaking to them. And one way or the other, they were they were just sitting there, kind of whether convicted or what. Uh, and so, when I saw that, there's my Amen. The truth of God is powerful. These people that went before that preacher, they were handsome, they were wealthy, they were articulate, they were well-dressed. They had uh, everything going for them, but no power of God because they didn't have the message. This little guy got up and had nothing that looked like it was going for him, but he had the true message. Wow. So I I, once once we got the sound set for the next group, I ran through the crowd and found a guy and hugged him. And I said, thank you for preaching the gospel to us. That's what I've been waiting for for a day and a half here. (laughs) So, uh, that's our amen. We're out of time here. Uh, We'll pick this up right here again. And this morning, oh, by the way, take up the chairs. And Ryan will be preaching. And it's also Communion Sunday, so be thinking about your gratitude for what the Lord's done for you.